Hi, I'm Christine. And I'm Alan. We'd like to thank you for tuning in to our discussion this week. Our hope is that we'll share some information that you'll find helpful. So now we invite you to join us as we together listen, listen for, for the, the word. word. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our podcast today. Today we are in Luke 10, verses 1 through 20. And um, this is the... Uh, this is the sending of the uh, 70, question mark, 72, question mark. And I think you'll find um, if, if you have either one of those in your mind is the absolute. We're going to talk a little bit about this interesting number today, but also about the meaning of the sending. So I'm going to have Alan take it away here. Thanks, Christy. Our, our gospel reading for this week takes it where we left off last week. Basically, it just follows immediately upon that. So immediately following the introductory episodes in Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, Luke recounts an episode that is only found in his gospel, the sending out of the 70 or the 72 to prepare the way for Jesus' ministry, to join in that ministry themselves, and really in, in the broader context of Luke's gospel to anticipate the future ministry in Acts. Now, all three synoptic gospels report an episode where Jesus sends out the 12 with authority mm -hmm. to preach, heal, and essentially to do this same thing, to extend Jesus' ministry. Mm -hmm. While Mark and Luke are closely parallel, Matthew is not precisely so. In fact, much of what Luke reports in our lesson for today is found, or at least there are similar statements in Matthew's account of the sending out of the 12 in Matthew 10. It's a whole chapter, basically, well, you know, in Matthew why? 10. I think it's an interesting question mark is why send out this bigger group? Is that just, is that part of Luke's specific message? Do you think it has to do with? Well, I think what we, what we see is Luke is kind of preparing for the broader ministry of the church as a mm -hmm. whole to some mm -hmm. extent. And, okay. and also I think Luke wants to show, you know, we just had this episode with the three would be disciples. I think Luke wants to show that they weren't the only ones and the 12 weren't the only ones that mm -hmm. were following mm -hmm. Jesus. Right. Because Luke is going to mention in Acts chapter one, that there were 120 who were gathered in the upper room right. when they selected a replacement for Judas. So there were other disciples of Jesus right. uh, besides the 12. Well, and we know that, and yeah. we know that people are following, but Luke yeah. does, Luke points them out yep. more, and so just kind of focuses mm -hmm. on that narrow, smaller group. Yeah, but he, he, he has, this, you know, as I've said many times, Luke has this, has this broad historical sweep of how, you know, God's work in, in the people of Israel um, reaches sort of a fulfillment in, in Jesus, and then it, it transitions then into the work of the church, and that work continues right, up right, till today. today. Mm -hmm. and, and so Luke is, is writing all of this into the larger story mm -hmm. of God's redemptive work well, throughout history. You know, you wonder if, if to, this seemed too insignificant, right, for someone like mm -hmm. Matthew to mention. I mean, not, but where, where's part of Luke's? It's a good question. I mean, you know, um, we saw last week that, that Matthew does summarize some episodes that Mark and Luke uh, devote more attention to. And, and, you know, I think we have to understand each of the gospel writers has their own purpose, their own theological emphases and themes, and, and they selected their materials, and they, they, they even structured their gospels, you know, with reference to those themes and those theological um, emphases. 
Um, I think perhaps in in Matthew, you do have more of a focus on the 12 as the yeah. ones who are extending but Jesus' But that makes ministry. sense within Matthew's context, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, yeah, so this is very, I mean, this is really interesting, an interesting episode, I think. I mean, I've always liked this episode a lot because I felt like it called... I felt like I, I felt more identity with the 70 than I did sure. with the 12, right, sure. in, some, in some way. Sure. All right, so moving on. Yeah, so the lectionary does omit the middle section of the reading, as, as you note if you've looked ahead, um, likely because it has some challenging statements. But as Joel Green points out, one of the main themes of Luke's gospel is the division that Jesus' ministry causes. And this is going to really come out in the journey to Jerusalem. And, and we should remember, I think, at this point, Simeon's prophetic word at Jesus' presentation at the temple, this child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel. Mm-hmm. That's Luke 2.34. And that theme will continue and really be, be become a major theme in the journey of Jerusalem, which is also sort of preparing for the full story of conflict surrounding the proclamation of the Mm. gospel and the ministry of those who follow Jesus in the book of Acts. Wow. That's so you really see, you really see the way Luke is very intentional about, um, about sort of this continuity of God's work, you know, in and through uh, Jesus, in and through those he commissions mm-hmm. to to extend his ministry in and through the church ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is interesting, you know, because I think, I think sometimes when we think about the gospel and we think unfairly, but I think we just think of, oh, now everyone's really happy and united. And it, this is a this is a real mm-hmm. reminder about Jesus's message. And sure. um, it you know if if you handle it right in oh. the preaching, you you could you could add this in and be okay. Right. Well, yeah. and we tend to you know we tend to focus all of the opposition to Jesus on the scribes and the Pharisees true. and the Jewish religious leaders yeah, because true. I think Matthew that's that's the way it's presented in Matthew. Right. And in Luke's, especially in the sending of in in, in the journey to Jerusalem, we're going to see that that's, and in the book of Acts, we're going to see Mm -hmm. that that's more of a a wider issue than just Mm -hmm. one set of people. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of sets you up for the real church. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, as I was researching a part, there was a whole bunch of debate about about the text. And (laughs) so I'm going to let Alan fill this in. But I started with the big question mark. 70 question mark 72 question mark what's what's going on here well there is a problem with the text um and the english uh, the english translation tradition is evenly divided pretty much uh, which reflects the uncertainty of the early textual evidence many english translations including tyndale the geneva bible the king james version the darby version the american standard version the revised standard version and the new revised standard version and i was surprised to find that also nt writes new testament for mm. everyone. Uh, they follow the reading of several important manuscripts, the early Latin, Syriac, and Coptic versions, as well as the testimony of Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria, and Origen, and the majority of later manuscripts, which say Jesus sent out 70. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, a lot of folks who are using, you know, especially in the Reformation era, some folks who are using the Textus Receptus are going to be following that. Many other English translations, including Wycliffe, Mm -hmm. who probably was influenced by the Vulgate, but the NIV, the New American Standard, the new the the net bible which is a, a a newer translation with lots of notes the new lang the new living translation the english standard version the common english bible and the recently released new rsv updated edition 
follow the evidence of P75, B, and D, other early Latin and Syriac and Coptic versions would say Jesus sent out 72. Now, the, the majority of the committee that, has, that, that was working on, on, the, on the textual evidence decided that the uncertainty of the text means that they, it was best to put the word dua or two in single brackets, which is meant to be a, a, a sign of the uncertainty of the textual mm-hmm. evidence. Kurt Aland argues that whenever you have P75, B, and D, along with virginal evidence, that's almost you know, a slam dunk as the original reading. And the only, you know, the only reason why these others are following the tradition of 70 is because 70 was a traditional number Mm -hmm. in the Septuagint and in Christian tradition. And so um, he argues that basically the, the, the textual tradition got corrupted by basically what he calls ecclesiastical normalizing, or in other words, you know, the scribes felt pressure to correct 72 to 70. And he really saw no reason, you know, this is one of the things you think about with textual criticism, you know, what reading best explains the origin of the others. Right. It's a lot easier to understand that 72 would be original and the scribes would be feel pressure to con- conform it to 70 than vice versa. There, there doesn't seem to be any reason why they would, they would uh, make it an original 70 into 72. And yet I'm surprised at N.T. Wright. What's his argument? I, know. I don't know. I don't know. There may, be, there may be some thinking too that the fact that, because right after that you have the phrase two by two. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe there, there, maybe there was some, um, maybe there was some uh, accidental copying or something mm-hmm. like that. I don't know. I'm assuming the King James version mm-hmm. has the seventy. 70. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. yeah. King James has the yeah, seventy. Yeah, that makes sense yep. with 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 what you've identified here. Well, believe it or not. This is going to be a debate in the Reformation <laughs> era as well. And some reformers, most go with 70, but not all. Yeah, so yeah. we see, obviously, when you have Wycliffe on the other side and there are reformers inf- impacted by Wycliffe, you've got, you're going to have both of these versions out even then. Well, so, and, you know, before we were, I'll, I'll just share this with the re, with the listeners, before we were, um, as we were preparing to, to begin our podcast, we were debating, should we call this the 70 or the 72, which would people be more familiar with? And if you're familiar with the Revised Standard Version and the New Revised Standard Version, you're probably familiar 70. more with the 70. That's what I grew up with, cert- right. certainly. Mm-hmm. If you're familiar more with the NIV, which has bit wide usage in our churches as well, you may be more familiar with the story of the 72. Mm-hmm. So it's it's hard to say. Interesting. Well, and if you got somehow in between, <laughs> it's the same story, friends. Yeah, it's still the same <laughs> story that's right that's all right. right moving on so then luke introduces this account by saying after this the lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go now while many people call jesus curios in luke's gospel luke only refers to jesus as curios in his narration 14 times and all but two of them take place in this section of the gospel, after Jesus has set his face to go to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. That the number of messengers was 72 is taken by New Testament scholars these days to symbolize that the message of the kingdom of God was intended for all nations of the world mm-hmm. because the listing of the nations, if you read the whole of Genesis chapter 10, it's not just a genealogy, but it's a listing of all mm-hmm. the nations that come from the genealogy of Adam and Eve. Interesting. And, and in the Septuagint, there are 72 nations that are listed. Now, you know, if you're more comfortable with the 70, uh, there's good news because apparently 
the Masoretic text of the Hebrew uh, only has 70 nations. So there either way, either way, the emphasis seems to be that the, to symbolize that the message of the kingdom was intended for uh-huh. all nations. Well, Calvin's going to have a completely different argument why it should be 70, but yeah. it is kind of interesting. Yeah. 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 So the fact that Jesus sent them ahead of him, literally before his face, and we saw that last week, Pra Posipu Autu, not only reminds us of last week's reading, but in the larger narrative of Luke's gospel, I think it also is meant to call to mind the mission of John the Baptist. Uh, we may recall that when when John the Baptist raises questions and, and Jesus talks about John the Baptist in John 7, 27, Jesus identifies him by quoting a combination of Exodus 23, 30 and Malachi 3, 1. See, I am sending my message mm-hmm. ahead of you which is pra prosopu su, before your face, who will prepare your way before you. So, you know, there's a, there, again, I think with Luke, it's always about this continuity. There's a continuity in what happens, you know, between God's work in the Hebrew Bible yeah, with the people yeah. of Israel, God's work through John the Baptist, God's work through Christ, right, God's right. work through the 12, through the 72, and ultimately through the whole church. Right, yeah. right, right. So um, n- n- moving on, what... The basis of this sending out, what is that? What is that? So the basis then for sending out these 72 others, mm-hmm. and this means others than the 12, than the 12 because in, right. in, in Luke chapter 9, 1, we have the sending out of the 12. So the basis for sending out these others is Jesus saying that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out the laborers in his harvest. Now, Matthew also has this saying, but it's right before the sending out of the 12. So again, Matthew connects it with the sending out of the 12. In Luke, it's connected with the sending out of the 72. So it's almost like Luke is wanting to justify the fact that Jesus sends out these others besides the 12 with this statement. You know, the 12 Mm -hmm. were too few. That the, mm-hmm. that the work of the kingdom was so big and it was so urgent that it needed more laborers to be sent into the harvest. And so the idea is like, like John the Baptist, mm-hmm. like the 12 who were sent out in, in Luke 9.1, there were these others who were committed to the kingdom of God and to Jesus' message and ministry enough to join him in the work, which was so ur- urgent that it required as many witnesses as possible yep. to carry out. Yep. And of course, then this also prepares us for the story of the many others who will continue this work in Acts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, what is their actual ministry when they go out? Well, you know? you know, that's a good question because Luke doesn't really give us an account of the actual ministry of this group, but he focuses his attention really more on Jesus' instructions for their mission. Mm-hmm. Now, so not only is the mission urgent then, it is also dangerous because in verse 3, Jesus is going to say, I'm sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. And so I think we find that in this passage and really throughout the the journey to Jerusalem, we'll find that both these themes of urgency and the danger of the mission to proclaim the kingdom, um, you know, are are emphasized. And and Mm -hmm. both of these themes have left their imprint on Jesus' instructions to the 72 or the 70 this group of others this group and so you know what did they what did they take with them that kind of thing well yes and you know at this point because the mission is urgent and they can depend they can still depend upon the hospitality of those who will see them jesus tells them to carry no purse no bag no sandals and greet no one on the road Mm. in verse four 
So basically, they need not make any kind of elaborate preparations because the division caused by Jesus and his inauguration of the kingdom of God has not yet reached the point where they will be routinely denied hospitality. And so because the mission is urgent, also they're not to delay for any reason, even or especially paying a visit to relatives. Now, I do want to note, though, that later in Luke twenty-two thirty-six, Jesus will say, you know, now you should take a purse. And he even says, if you have two cloaks, you should sell one and take a sword. Right. So the idea is at a later time, they will not be able to count on this hospitality and they, wow. they need yeah. to make provision for their, for, their, mm-hmm. for their missionary work. And they also need to take protection along. Which is interesting. It is interesting. Well, and then he gives instructions also about how to enter the house. Right. What what happens here? Yeah, and so the the instructions move very quickly to this idea of the inherent division that their ministry will cause and the rejection that this group will face. He says, whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house, and if a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on that person, but if not, it will return to you, which sounds a little strange to us, right? Mm -hmm. But um, we've already noted that in the context of Luke, gospel, peace is not just a reflection of the traditional Jewish greeting shalom, but it's also a word reflecting salvation Mm -hmm. as in the Hebrew Bible. And so the idea is that this group, by their presence, by their presence, are extending Jesus' ministry of bringing the peace of God's kingdom to the people. And they would do this by proclaiming the kingdom, by healing the sick, and the, by implication, thus ministering with the authority that the twelve were given. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jesus doesn't doesn't say that at the beginning, at the at the at the outset of this passage. But there's an, a reference to the authority that Jesus gives them for this ministry mm-hmm. at the end of this passage. And so they 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 not only um, are are ministering with the same authority that the twelve were given, but they're also going with the same commission that John the Baptist had wow. in a very real sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if those in the house are committed to God's peace, literally the term is if there is a son of peace there, then the peace they extend to that house, that is the blessings of the kingdom mm-hmm. and the salvation even that it conveys, will mm-hmm. rest on them. Mm-hmm. And so um, if if they're welcomed, what happens next? Well, if they're welcomed, they are to receive the hospitality that is extended to them mm-hmm. by, by the people for the, who welcome them. But they're not to take advantage of that. And this is something we'll see reflected in later instructions mm-hmm. to traveling missionaries in the New Testament as well. So Jesus tells them to remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Yes, that's yeah. kind of a big deal. I think I think it's a big deal for modern day ministry. It is. Um, some people overlook this part, mm-hmm. and um, um, I think that's an interesting point. I think I think these days, you know, the discussion around uh, pastoral compensation is it seems to me it's it's really kind of polarized almost people either overlook this and and don't want to emphasize it or people are emphasizing it too much and right, and, and right. sort of making right. making demands right on churches that really i mean they may or may not be able to afford the demands that are being made on them so right. it's I, you know i i agree that this is very important obviously but i think we also we we need to have a balanced approach to it 
Yeah. Oh, I, I, I agree. Right. Yeah. This is an interesting, you're right. And we could talk about that more later potentially, but um, mm-hmm. yeah. So moving on. So, so Jesus tells them though, explicitly do not move about from house to house. So in other words, he, he tells them, you know, if, if someone receives you into their home and, and they extend their hospitality to you, just stay there. Don't go around and sort of work the whole village basically mm-hmm. to get food and, and, and hospitality from the whole village. So this then becomes the standing practice. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So mm-hmm. the idea is that these this group of 70 or 72 um, messengers is going to go around. They're, they're not just mm-hmm. going to stay in one place, but they're going right. to go throughout the, re- the Jewish regions and they're going to they're going to carry out and extend Jesus' ministry in, in various villages. And whenever wherever they enter a town and the people welcome them, they're to extend that ministry. Mm-hmm. And and sort of cure the sick then becomes kind of a shorthand. Cure the sick and proclaiming the kingdom of God kind of becomes a shorthand for their total ministry, which includes healing, casting out demons, cleansing lepers. That is all the actions that were associated with Jesus' ministry mm-hmm. of the kingdom. Now, we've discussed in connection with Mark's gospel the issues surrounding the language that the kingdom of God has come near to you, and it's angikin, which is the perfect tense mm. of the verb angenzo, to draw near. And so, you know, the question was, is it near or is it here? And, mm. you know, the right, idea in right. the New Testament is that while the kingdom is truly present in the ministry of Jesus and those right. he commissions, right? Right. The peace is going to enter the, these people's yeah, homes, right? Yeah. So the, the the kingdom is truly present in the ministry of Jesus and those he commissions, yet the fullness of the kingdom awaits the coming I day of the Lord. I love that. And yeah. I love this. I love that as an angle to p- preach this, actually. Um, mm-hmm. So what if they don't accept yeah. it, right? So that's going to happen in this. And, and it's part of this is part of, I think, the purpose of Jesus' instructions here is that, you know, the prospect of welcome is not the only one that they face. And Jesus is aware that his ministry will be a cause of division and conflict. And he prepares this group of witnesses for that possibility. He says, whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest Mm. against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. So in the face of the refusal of hospitality and thus the rejection of the kingdom of God by rejecting the messengers of the kingdom, Jesus instructs these messengers to wipe the dust off their feet as a kind of prophetic action symbolizing that they had cut himself off cut themselves off from the kingdom of God and thus from the people of God and essentially thus from salvation. And, and so um, it may be a little strange it's, for us to our ears. Harsh. It yeah, really it sounds is harsh. harsh. It is. And, and we, we, it's, there's more harshness to come. <laughs> yeah. Right. So moving on then, um, uh, tell us more about this, this harshness that comes. Yeah. Out. So the consequences of rejecting the message are pretty dire. Uh, Jesus says in verse 12, I tell you on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. And of course, Sodom <laughs> is is paradigmatic in the Hebrew Bible for, you know, all that is opposed to God right, and God's purposes. Right. Um, and so this is a very harsh, harsh statement indeed. And many think of the sin of Sodom as sexual perversion, but I would say here it is oh, a re- yes. the refusal There's... to show the strangers from God mm-hmm. the proper hospitality. Right, I mean, that right. was that was expected in that right. day. And that's the cause of their condemnation. And so that those who reject the kingdom of God by rejecting its messengers, then 
you know, brings up, brings out this allusion to Sodom. And it serves to highlight, again, the two themes of this passage, the urgency of proclaiming and responding rightly to the kingdom and the division and conflict the proclamation of the kingdom will cause and thus the danger to its messengers. I think it's important to note that, you know, when they, when they leave the town that will not receive them, after they have shaken the dust off their feet, they still say, yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. And the idea is that, that the kingdom uh, accepted and welcomed brings peace. The kingdom rejected yeah. brings this, this, um, this judgment, this yeah, harsh judgment. It, very yeah. interesting. You know, and, and one of the things that, that is found in the part of, the, of this passage that is omitted by the lectionary is in verse 16. Jesus says, whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Mm-hmm. I think this is really the thought basis, the logical basis behind these judgment statements and the reasons why rejecting the messengers of the kingdom is so dire in this context. You know, there's a sense of urgency. And and we see this as well, actually, in, in Jesus sending out of the 12 in in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says, you know, you will not finish going through all the towns of Judea before the Son of Man will come. And so there's a real sense right. of urgency here. Yeah. And the idea is now is the time to respond. Don't delay. Right. And, right. And, and so I think we see that reflected as well here in Luke's gospel with this idea that if they, if they reject you, they reject me. And if they reject me, they reject the one who sent me. And, and yet I don't know that we have to, I don't know that we have to adopt that as a standing basis for our ministry. Now, no, I, I don't think, think I think so. I think one of the things we need to see here is that this mission of the 70 or the 72 is something that is taking place in the setting of Jesus of the of the sort of the 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 the, the final time of Jesus right. ministry and it's a time of urgency it's right. a time of the critical and 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 important the critical importance of of uh, spreading the kingdom to as many people right. as possible as quickly as possible yes. and and I so I mean that gives you the basis for these 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 instructions don't take anything with you receive the hospi- depend on the hospitality of those who welcome you but it also I think explains the harshness of the statements of sort of rejection for those who reject the, the message of these uh, I, messengers, the I ministry agree. of these messengers of Jesus. And I don't, see, I don't see this as something we should use as a standing, um, sort of a standing theolo- theology of, well, this is, this is what happens to those who don't receive our witness today. It's a different situation. But I agree. And, and Calvin's going to agree with that mm-hmm. as well. Um, I love is, it when Calvin agrees with I it. know. It's, it's <laughs> true. You would be good buddies. No. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, beside the point, uh, I I think you're right. And I think think those that try to take this as a kind of a literal sense Mm -hmm. for today's ministry are really... Doing the church a disservice, actually. Well, and they're pushing the passage beyond what it was intended to do. Yeah, exactly. So we conclude 
the 72 come home. Yep. Tell us about that. So Luke tells us that the 72 returned with joy. And by the way, in most manuscripts, it's 72 in both places, right? In both in both the beginning and the end. Or it's 70 Se- oh, in both right. places. It's okay. one or the other. It's fairly consistent. Yeah. So the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. Now, again, I think this comment further indicates that the messengers were sent out with the full authority mm-hmm. of the 12. Yes. It's significant, I think, that they report that they were carrying out their ministry in your name because later in the book of Acts, ministering in the name of Jesus is something that is a prevalent theme. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 the early the apostles in the early church do their ministry often. It's, right. it's in the name of the Lord Jesus. And and so I think, again, we see this continuity of ministry from John the Baptist through Jesus to the 12 and the 72 and ultimately to the church mm-hmm. in Acts. And then there's this kind of final thing um, that almost doesn't feel like it should be in the passage. Yeah, it's a bit strange. Satan fall from heaven. Right. Tell us about this. So, and 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 this this reply that Jesus has made, you know, has been the cause of no small confusion. I I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning in verse eighteen. Many people have used this as a sort of proof text. Uh, of, of the belief that Jesus in his pre-incarnate state witnessed a, a primordial fall of Satan. And in fact, you know, uh, there are some allusions in Luke ten fifteen in that section that we missed where Jesus says, Capernaum, will you ascend to heaven? No, you will be cast down to Hades. Those are allusions to Isaiah 14, which is Isaiah's uh, prophetic message of judgment against the king of Babylon, but a lot of people take that connection here, but with with verse eighteen and with the statement in verse fifteen, and they build this whole sort of facade, I guess, or, or structure of of these proof texts that that Luke yeah. that Isaiah fourteen yeah. is also a proof text for a primordial fall of Satan. But I think it's clear that the power of the enemy is still something Jesus and his disciples must contend with all the way through the gospel. Mm -hmm. And it's also clear that the power of the enemy is something that the church in Acts has to continue to contend with, and really even the whole New Testament. And so it only makes sense to understand that Jesus is talking about the final downfall of all the powers of evil when the day of the Lord Mm -hmm. come comes and the kingdom of God is is the kingdom you know the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign right, forever right, and ever right, when right, that right. happens that's when the final downfall of right. all the power of evils happen all the powers of evil right. happens but Jesus insists that they're not to rejoice in any authority that he had given them over the powers of evil, but rather they're to rejoice that their names are written in heaven, which in Luke's gospel is another one of those uh, salvation phrases Mm -hmm. that is kind of unique. Um, We don't really hear it much in in the rest of the New Testament, but it it is a phrase that comes from the Hebrew Bible and Jewish tradition. Yeah. As a, as a, yep, as a phrase yep. that refers to salvation. Yeah, yeah. And that's where, at least what I looked at with the Reformers, um, I'm sure some of the more radical groups get caught up on the Satan piece, but I didn't get to them to this day. So they're more focused on this salvation mm-hmm. language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks, Thanks. Christy. Hi, friends. We're back, and we are going to see what the Reformers had to say about this uh, 
interesting passage. So, Christy, tell us what you found with sure. the Reformers. Well, sure. So today I, I looked at Calvin's commentaries, and I took a peek in into the Institutes, and I also looked at my Reformation commentaries. And um, I just found that this wasn't covered really heavily by the reformers um the themes are covered other places you mm-hmm. know we can we can talk about satan and 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 the reformation in, in places and I, I i do think there's some pieces here that are important for it for calvin for the organization of the church but as a whole this doesn't get a ton of attention that's interesting mm-hmm. I, I you know it's 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 kind of i, I guess a point of curiosity for me that 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 would be the case yeah. with this particular passage. Although, you know, if you think about it, I mean, how many preachers preach on that passage, you know, or how many preachers choose to skip it, right? Right, right. <laughs> there is, I did find Luther reference it in his Babylonian captivity of the church. He just references one tiny verse of it, and yet it still wasn't a major exegesis at all of it. He mm-hmm. was using it kind of as a proof text, and yeah. I didn't, yeah. I really didn't bring it in. Um, but I did find it interesting because I've always kind of loved this passage. I guess, huh. been, as I mentioned, I've been so called about the 70, and right. I think... I think often it is because it seems that the disciples are so out of reach in so many ways. The apostles, the 12. The 12, exactly. Sorry. They're saints, right? They're (laughs) saints, right? So when you hear about the 70, and of course, I always like to envision, and I'm likely not true, that some of them are women, you know? No, I I don't see why not. You know, and I love that. Um, There's no 70 men. It doesn't say 70 men. It just says 70. So Mm -hmm. there's this kind of wonderful... um, opportunity there of opening the space to others that yeah. I have lo- always liked about this passage. Well, one of the, I mean, one of the traditional interpretations of the two on the road to Emmaus is that it was a husband and wife uh, couple. Exactly. And I love uh, that. I don't see why that could, couldn't have been a possibility. Exactly. Exactly. And, and this too, why not? This I don't think be... that, I don't think that's reading our situation in. I, I think that would have, I mean, we have enough examples in the New Testament of this kind of thing happening. Exactly. Yeah. So I just find it a really, I've always really loved it for these reasons. And, um, and yet, as I said, it, it wasn't terribly well covered, but it, it's there. Um, and so, of course, one of the first things that um, Calvin really spends a lot of time with. Now, remind you, as we talk, this particular space, these 70 are only in Luke. So he's not taking this one through 11 is where he goes. He mm-hmm. just takes that separately and treats it. Um, he does note that that some of the later stuff is, is or some of it's tied to the 12 with Matthew, but he considers mm-hmm. this a separate, a separate encasement for Luke. And so he starts talking about the 70. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Um, and we should, I mean, we should note that that was the time. I mean, that was the text of the New Testament at the time, right? Well, and Erasmus used 70 in his New Testament. And I think, and he was, it was considered the kind of right or most contemporary um, translation of the time or the Vulgate um, was the 72. Right. And, and they had found so many errors in the Vulgate during the Reformation period. Mm-hmm. And they found that, and also, of course, it was claimed very much by the Roman Catholics that they really kind of wanted to step out and follow Erasmus. And so, um, and, and it, it didn't have the kind of um, sophistication of today, I don't think. I mean, I really think they trusted Erasmus and his... 
Well, and if I might, you if I might studied add, Erasmus if I might at add, I mean, part of this was just a sort of almost a a, a fluke of publication, you know, Erasmus. So at the same time, in the early 16th century, um, Erasmus and Cardinal Ximenes in in Spain were racing to get the first Greek New Testament put together. Uh, Cardinal Ximenes was doing a polyglot New Testament, mm-hmm. but it was it would, was would had Greek in it. And and Erasmus used mainly later manuscripts. He did have a codec, he did have a copy of Codex Beza or D okay. for part of the New Testament, but he considered it to be sort of um um, not so reliable because it differed from most of the Greek manuscripts he had access to, which were the later majority text manuscripts. Mm-hmm. So, um, but here's the thing is that Cal- Erasmus was in such a hurry to, to beat Cardinal Ximenes <laughs> to the press, basically, that he didn't, his manuscript of Revelation lacked the final page. So he took the Vulgate and retranslated it back into Greek. Yes. And created yes. a bunch of new variants that never even existed right, before right. that. Right. And yeah. so and so what happened then was later later editions of the Greek New Testament. I mean, Erasmus published several editions of the Greek New Testament mm-hmm. with essentially the same text. And then later individuals, uh, Stephanus and Debeza and others in the 16th century and going on in the 17th century, they simply reprinted Erasmus's text. Be- right. And so it became the quote-unquote received text, and that was a publisher's blurb intending to basically right. sell books and, and convince the reader that this was a reliable right. text of the right. New Testament. Right. Now, now, at the time, it was the latest but and the greatest. at the time, it was the latest and the greatest, yeah. you know, because... Yeah. Now, exactly. now we know that you know the, the remind, flaws. Yeah, and of course, reminding folks, the Vulgate's Latin, right. so this was Greek, and this was going to be closer right. to the original language, exactly. if you will. Yeah, and um, so anyway, isn't that interesting? So Calvin, but Calvin actually defends this, which is interesting, which I I love, and he says the convention goes back to um, to the seventy judges um, from Exodus eight. 22. Um, the ones that Moses took up the mountain. Yes, with him. correct. Yeah. Correct. And he claims that um, the 70 had been corrupted later on into the Sanhedrin, which contained <laughs> 72 members. And so by using 70, it was a reflection of the recognition of the restoration from the fallen state of the 72, because Herod had basically disbanded the Sanhedrin, and therefore had lost its power, and it was kind of a 70 is, is a truer representation, if you will. Wow. It's, yeah, so he does this whole argument on this. Based on coincidental historical circumstances, essentially, yeah. right? In other words, we see Calvin <laughs> do so many good, and but I find it interesting, one, he felt a need to defend it, which yeah. tells us, I think, that this debate is going on. Well, he's, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm sure the debate, so, so the, the debate of the Bible of the church has been going on for centuries. Mm-hmm. I, I reviewed a book once on, on some correspondence between Jerome and Augustine. Augustine tried to pressure Jerome not to use the Hebrew 
Bible as a basis for his Latin translation of the of the Old Testament because the Septuagint was the Bible of the church. Well, of course, then the Vulgate becomes the Bible of the church. Right, so right. there's pressure of all this all these centuries mm-hmm. not to switch to the Greek and the Hebrew exactly. and the Reformation era, right? And exactly. It, I mean, in these days, you know, it's the King James Version or whatever version right. you consider to be the Bible of the church. Exactly. Well, I hear a lot of people with the King James Version, you yeah, know, and, and yeah. it was it was this blessed version that came down and... The, and the, the the you know the 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 translators of the King James version had a preface where they had to defend themselves against the attacks that they were innovators. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, so what that's it, always been the case. What an interesting study. So yeah, this is anyway. I thought it was really fun, but I also I also like in here he is always trying to look at how Surely. the Old Testament forms the Surely. New Testament. So even mm-hmm. if we might say yeah whatever he's at least making that step he's well not, he's and i, I will have it. to give him credit for for making the step from the vulgate to the greek now i know partly that was probably motivated by some of his theology and his rejection of the roman catholic tradition uh, and his association of the vulgate with that i would argue i would argue maybe but i would argue more it was his humanist training right mm-hmm. right and and right. um uh, and the, the 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 relearning of Greek, sure, right? Sure. Um, because our which was they were just right in the middle of all that. They were yeah. right in the middle of all yeah. that, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and uh, then um, they do talk a little bit about the two by the going two by two, um, different arguments for it. One says, oh, well, there's two sets of eyes. There's but Calvin kind of thought one um, that was just. It, it kind of recognized their weakness, and mm-hmm. that but but two people could support each other, which mm-hmm. I actually, I actually kind of like that argument. One said just that Luke does things in twos, mm-hmm. and and I I don't know that we have to have a reason that yeah. they went but went in twos. Yeah, the, I think that I think what I saw in the commentary I was looking at the modern commentary, you know, it was it was sort of a, a sort of a mutual protection, you mm-hmm. know, because uh, as we saw, I mean, the, you know, some places would be hospitable and some places would not right, be. Right, right. So, um, and then one of the one of the reformers, Richard Taverner, he's a he's a Puritan reformer, a fellow from from England, but I kind of liked he really got into some of the. Um, uh, symbolism in the harvest and mm. he goes but again he goes back and using old testament and new testament right. together so right. hebrew bible looks at moses as as plowing with the law uh. so here we get an emphasis on the law which is very puritan right mm-hmm. um the prophets sowed the seeds yeah john the baptist had the blade and ultimately christ had the harvest interesting so i thought that was kind of a new approach to envisioning the harvest and yet he he read and he probably read way too much into it but i yeah i liked a the the use of the hebrew bible mm-hmm. um in god's working world he mm-hmm. went back there to say mm-hmm. look this is this is part of god's plan god's whole plan for right. the world so i liked that i thought that was good well it's an interesting approach to the continuity you know mm-hmm. idea that mm-hmm. that luke does as we've said before luke does bring that out mm-hmm. you know that Moses is plowing up the ground. I mean, you can see that in New Testaments, you know, in Paul's statements about right. the function of the law, right? Right. And the prophets sowing the seed. I think you could also see that in New Testament quotations of prophetic texts mm-hmm. that that relate to Christ and relate right. to salvation. Right. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and then of course, John the Baptist, you know, with his ministry of repentance, repentance, you uh-huh. can certainly see that. Yeah. Yeah. So it, yeah. It, it's an interesting approach. Mm-hmm. And the second thing he did, which I thought was interesting, was this kind of 
this kind of emphasis on um, um, the harvest and the kinds of grain produced, which he said, one are those who are gathered by faith in hearing, and the second from obedience. Mm. I found that interesting because mm. he, you, you got to see that Puritan behavior um, emphasis come out sure. here. And while it's supposed to be behavior coming out of faith, I think it's a very, very, very thin line between that and a works righteousness Surely. kind of thing. And we see that when you think about those Puritan communities. Surely. If you're not behaving specifically right, mm-hmm. I think they get more caught up with that than what pretty one rigid. actually believes. Yeah, and, pretty rigid. And so I thought that was an interesting um, uh, an interesting space there. Well, and you know, it makes me wonder, uh, was this his way of distinguishing between quote-unquote nominal Christians and more people who live into discipleship? But I'm maybe that may be giving too much to his, you know, that may be giving too much benefit of the doubt to him as a Puritan because, you know, in the Puritan world, there was a lot of rigidity around behavioral standards. It, uh, uh, well, absolutely. You know, if you remember, and, and, and most of you this is the time of Shakespeare as well. Right. And remember the shutting down of, of the, uh, of the theaters mm. and, and, and many people put out of work because of the kinds of things they were involved in. Mm. And there's no dancing. And this is where all the music is taken out too. Mm. I mean, this is no worldly, no worldly amusements. Exactly. <laughs> and of course the big joke is, um, when, um, so this all goes all the way through the Cromwellian era, right? Mm-hmm. And then when after the, um, and then after the um, uh, protectorate, then we get uh, Charles II on the throne, and they, I mean, big parties. They, they <laughs> call, he was known as the Party King because huh. they can, you know, reestablish all these things that people enjoyed being a part mm-hmm. of, and that lasted pretty well. Until then, they kind of were done with that too. But there was that period of like rejoicing that came mm-hmm. out of being able to feel like they could didn't feel that they uh, couldn't do fun things. Mm-hmm. And, and then, mm-hmm. of course, that's where the Puritans kind of get their reputation as right. not having fun, right. as being the, <laughs> as being so so strict. Yeah. Um. Um. And then another piece that. Um, um, I, I picked up on that Calvin related to was this not saying hello to people, not noticing folks along the way, because it does seem kind of harsh um, in the scripture. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's like keep your eyes focused. Of course, and they are really good at tying it to the earlier situation. This would be disciples who Jesus is like, look, you need to focus on what you're doing and not be going back and dealing with family. And, and um, Calvin suggests this is the same kind of of reference here don't be distracted along the mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. Um, by those who are going to lead you astray you need to be focused i mean w- the time is short you need to be focused on on spreading the word to those that will hear and he um, actually related it to elisha's situation in second t- second kings four thirty one. here i'm going to have alan 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 read i don't have a good translation on me read the translation he's ref- so um so it's a story of a shunammite woman whose child is um, has died, and she comes to Elisha, and so Elisha sends his servant Gehazi to take his staff and lay it on the child. And so he says, Gird up your loins and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, give no greeting. If anyone greets you, do not answer, and then lay my staff on the face of the child. There you go. There you go. So he's he's drawing that in again. That's Calvin looking at these comparisons. But mm-hmm. he, but, and sometimes this one might have been 
further away, but I, I think it has that same emphasis. Well, there's a sense of urgency here. Mm-hmm. You know, if mm-hmm. the child has died, you know, there, there's definitely an urgency on the part of the Shunammite woman to, to have Elisha, you know, bring her, her child back to life. Right, right. So that's kind of the first take on it. But the other thing I think that we get out of this passage is just how it becomes kind of a guidebook for sending out ministers. Um, and I think the concern is, and, and this is um, really coming from the commentary, but thinking about you have a whole shift in, how, in, in ministry during the 16th century because you don't have a Roman Catholic clergy um, that is supposedly um, committed to celibacy that's kind of supported um, in many cases by um, some type of monastery. You have married couples. You have a married um, minister who's trying to take care of a family. Mm -hmm. And so you have a new emphasis on taking care of that minister and that Barry's parish is going to have to take care of that minister financially and with housing. Um, Well, and ironically, you know, although, although the priests would have taken vows of poverty, you know, their work either in a monastery or in a, in a, in a, in a parish gave them access to resources that made them anything but impoverished. Exactly. Exactly. Many of them are quite wealthy actually. um, A lot of them had land of their own that they could, um, they had people that worked for them. I mean, mm. they they became some of them became not not all. Some of them were not not wealthy, but they had they had resources that that kind of the pro- Protestant uh, ministers aren't going to have. Right. Um, and so there's and <laughs> one of the big problems. One of the big problems in a ministry prior to this was you would have maybe a parish priest. He might be serving several different places at once, traveling around. Um, doing the necessary handful of, of things at the, at, the, at the local church. But that wasn't the same kind of thing where you have um, this kind of individual church that's being served by an individual pastor and his mm-hmm. family. And so there's a whole different space here. And, and this kind of terrifying to think, well, how am I going to survive? Right. And so this is a passage that really has that kind of encouragement about God's support. And yet a reminder of they need to accept what's given to them this you don't have to go out not eating anything this is your payment Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and don't be surprised what the payment is because it might not be it it might not be monetary it might be a chicken right but that these are the gifts that are given to you but in that time that was that was probably very common right? absolutely yeah pastors being paid in kind not necessarily in money exactly there is a sense though that um um, these ministers are not sent out in pomp and splendor. And so that's really an attack on the Roman Catholic Church. But they will be humble and at the mercy of others to care for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and also this idea they have to learn that many won't accept their teaching. And um, they should live simply, without a bag. In terms of food, there is some debate about whether this is an instruction to eat all foods. So the, I think Calvin thought they were pushing that too far. Yeah. They're, they're like, that no. happens in Acts. That's no, not right. what this is about. Right. Um, and so um, he was a little critical of that. But well, but, and I would make the I would I would again reiterate the point that I don't think I don't think what Jesus is doing here is giving standing instructions for all messengers of the gospel right. of all day. Exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, the, um, I think beyond this, 
is what's important here is how Calvin then will take use of this just briefly in his institutes. Um, because remember, he sets up in there, he moves beyond just theology, but how the church works. He sets mm-hmm. up our, our basically our standards for the church. And so he references this passage in terms of the kinds of offices there are in the church. And I love hmm. this because, um, and he says, look, there's apostles and then prophets and evangelists, pastors and teachers. And as he points out, only the last two are actually how our church is set up. These three, apostles, prophets, and evangelists, are really there for when, for when Jesus is with us. These are, he says, mm. the evangelists. Mm. Now, what is, and so we kind of talked about this. This isn't kind of a standing um, office, but, but was an in, in, in instructions, but was one of the time. And, and that's where Calvin agrees. He says it's these pastors and teachers that become kind of the backbone of our church now so he definitely sees a difference between the time of jesus and the church later mm-hmm. builds that into his structure um did calvin have any understanding or any room for christian prophets in the new testament after jesus um occasionally i mean here we have um this idea that in times of great and great necessity God can't. So in other words, God can do Uh, what God's going to do and Mm -hmm. actually claims the Reformation was one of the periods where there's new voices coming out Mm -hmm. to, um, uh, to keep the churches as, as he says, from being from the antichrist, right? (laughs) So he's using that polemic, but he really, the antichrist being the Roman Catholic church. Exactly. (laughs) But he's usually, I, I think it's fascinating because he's, he's really believing that this period is, and, and is, is, a, a call to restore the church. Mm-hmm. And we know this, but I think there's such an emphasis coming from the idea of the protest against the Roman Catholic tradition that these people were somehow bad. I still get this from folks. They were bad and they broke off and broke created away, their own church. Fractured and, the unity of the church. And his point yeah. is they're restoring the church back to how Christ called the church. Sure. And I think that's and that's and that's why, by the way, I think it's really, really important that we think in terms of our brothers and sisters in Christ across this whole wave of denominations that we are we're still part of this broad body. We recognize mm-hmm. each other's baptisms. We sharing together. Maybe we have a little different approach to ministry, a little different emphasis in theology, but that we're still part of the body. And um, those who are breaking off, I think, do us more disservice. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. So anyway... It's not super dense, but there's some nice nuggets here. Thanks, Christy. Thanks. Hi, friends. We're back, and we're going to chat a little bit about the how we see the themes of this passage resonating with us. And Christy mentioned one that earlier that, that that she liked. And so tell, talk, tell us a little bit more about that idea, Christy. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, talking about the 70 and all the different kinds of people that are following Jesus. And, you know, so much emphasis is put on the 12. Um, and at least in traditional circles, it's always the 12 well, and men. For centuries, right? It was right. the 12 apostles. And 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 there's kind of this, this holding up. And yet we know that women are following and supporting um, all the way along. And yet they're kind of barely mentioned or just mentioned is, you know, is after effects. We don't know their names. And so here we have this opportunity to think about all the people that, that could be in this group being sent out. And, um, 
I just think it it it, it so much widens um, the richness of the text to do this, and I think it makes um, it makes discipleship so much more tangible for folks. And, and you know, I, obviously we see the we see the the humanity in the in in the apostles, and yet it's somehow we still hold them so mm. high. But here are seventy folks, and they are told, "Hey, we're gonna." You're going to have people that, that don't like you. You're going to be sent away. This is not going to be easy. And I love how they how they go anyway. And I love how they come, they come back with joy. That's what we read. They come mm-hmm. back with joy. So this this idea that God empowers all these different people that they're they're select, but they're not that select. They're right. they're people that come of faith. You know what right. I mean? And I think that's a really powerful statement well yeah and so i mean if i hear you right it seems like it kind of opens the door to ministry to everyone Mm -hmm. you know as opposed to ministry being just for the select few exactly and certainly not it's not just for men you know it's for all anyone who who um resonates with the message of the kingdom and jesus ministry of the kingdom and wants to engage and 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 you know is willing to follow that commission to extend it um, and, um, that, you know, the, it kind of brings a vibrancy almost to, um, ministry in the sense that, you know, it, again, it's not limited, you know, it's open to everyone and, um, you know, people are, these people are going to look different and, and they're mm-hmm. all going to have different gifts and, and, you know, yeah. kind of is it almost an, a precursor to Paul's view Exactly of, of the spiritual gifts so. in the church, you know that that yeah. you know everyone has has this gift from the spirit right. to be able to build up the body of Christ. Well, and then as I said, they they report they come back with joy and and the things that they're able to do, and it just reminds me of how, you know, so often I guess I feel like in my ministry that I don't have confidence or that I don't. Um, that maybe I'm lacking skills, but then I'm reminding this is not my ministry. This is Jesus um, and the Holy Spirit working through me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I and I I think I've talked about my syringe version before. Is when I when I lose confidence, I always visualize this huge syringe, the shot, because I often want to crawl in my own space. But then I think of that energy, and I think of that energy being the Holy Spirit filling me up and allowing mm. me to speak God's truth. And I love that because it's amazing what happens on the other side. It's that joy of, of spreading your convic- of, of the conviction of faith. And sure. I think that is pretty awesome, actually. Well, and you know, um, I would say, in my experience, most of us, maybe all of us in ministry, have a tendency to take ourselves for granted. You know, we, we, we don't really think much of what we do. You know, people... People have complimented me sometimes or tried to tell me, that's really cool the way you do that. And, and in my mind, I have to, I'm just thinking, well, that, that's just me being me. That's nothing special. Right. You know? uh, yeah, exactly. And, and yet, I think the, the, the reality is, even if it's just me being me, I, there's only one me. Right. <laughs> right. And I'm the one, I'm the one who has this particular set of gifts and, and abilities. And, and, and I'm the only one who's able to speak with the voice that I have. My voice is unique. And, and so, you know, I can see that. I mean, it's more of an encouragement that yes, every voice is needed and every voice mm-hmm. is valid and, and, and God wants to use every voice. When you think about that, if people listen for God's voice and they can, and they fall in using the, whatever God has given it. What, 
what a change of the world we'd really mm-hmm. have. I mean, we should yeah. really think about that. And that's, yeah. that's, that's really awesome. And it's just a reminder too, as I think as a pastor of these 70 people who are very human, mm-hmm. um, of, of how God can work through them, you know, sure. and, and how it keeps our eyes open to help encourage and foster, uh, the gifts that people have. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I've mentioned before that one of the things that really appeals to me in this passage and really about Luke's whole theology in Luke and Acts is the continuity that he sees in God's redemptive work, going stretching all the way back, you know, to creation and Abraham and Moses and the prophets. But then you've got John the Baptist and you've got Jesus, and then you've got Jesus sending out the 12. And here you have Jesus sending out this group of 70 or 72. And then finally, he's going to commission the whole church to the to serve, to, to minister to the ends of the earth. Yeah, yeah. And, and I love that sweep of continuity of God's redemptive work that Luke has this vision of. Um, uh, and that's one of the things really that drew me to the Reformed faith was, you know, um, that in other contexts, you know, there's more of a, uh, a setting of the a setting of the Old Testament against the New Testament. You know, well, we're New Testament Christians. We don't really pay much attention right. to that anymore right and you know i've always been i guess i've always even when i didn't know it i've always felt like you can't understand the new testament without understanding the hebrew bible that's right that's and, right and and you know luke i think is 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 one of the new testament writers who makes a very distinct and explicit uh point of arguing that god's work has been continuous from yeah. the beginning. And Paul does the same thing. Paul, Paul says, you know, the scripture preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham when it said, in your seed, all the nations will be blessed. <laughs> and so, yeah, you know, right, exactly. uh, that, those, those kind of passages always kind of rang out with me. And I'm like, well, wait, how can we, how can we, how can we reject, you know, two thirds of the Bible uh, and and just see it as just sort of irrelevant when when you have these kind of statements in right, the New Testament right, that point exactly, to the exactly. on, ongoing well, relevance. You know, and I think a lot of folks are in that space. But I think as we help as we help guide people to how they, how they work together, I, I get that question a lot. You probably mm-hmm. do too. It's why do we even need the the Hebrew Bible? Why is this even part of our tradition? And um, then when you realize that it's this that they inform each other and then mm-hmm. that there's this really big arc about God's yep. working in humanity. Yep. Oh, it's so incredibly beautiful. And it is. It, for me, it's, it's necessary for really a, a theology that, that is rich and full mm-hmm. to work. You can't really have it. Right. If you want to cut away part of the scripture. Right. Well, and I guess for me, th- this, there's an encouragement to that as well in that, you know, you know, as a as a solo pastor, you know it can often be discouraging because you feel, you wonder if you're making any difference, if you're doing any good, and you know I think part of what this overarching con- continuity of God's redemptive work um, says to us is, you know, as we are being faithful to carry out the calling that and the commission that we have received individually, we are contributing to that larger work God's redemptive God's larger redemptive work mm-hmm. and and it's God's work you know right. so it's not necessarily am I doing any good it is right. you know hopefully right. the the hope is and the encouragement is that God is using us 
whether we are aware of it or not, whether we see the the effects or not, God right. is using us to build up the body of Christ. Exactly. And to, and to carry out that redemptive plan. Well, I think what's interesting, you know, as you're saying that too, is is the impact that is made that we don't necessarily hear about. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 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 I, call it, I call it the, <laughs> if the dead person theory, right? When someone dies and people come in and they say all these they wonderful about things them, yeah. about them, but they, they may didn't... never have said that to that person in their exactly, life. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's, it is, I think that happens a lot. Oh my gosh, look at the ways. And sometimes it takes quite a, quite a few steps away to realize how much this person met or how much this person helped you in a mm-hmm. g- given way. And, um, um, and sometimes, sometimes people probably aren't even really aware right. of that, and that you shaped somebody. You know, maybe it's a child who. Um, I, I have a story that's not from me, but I had a pastor friend who, who told. Um, uh, it was the story of the calling, and this young woman, she was all of fourteen, heard, heard him talk about the call of the disciples. Um, just that very simple story, and um, she was for some reason that, that hooked her. And she was hooked at that mm. point. Yes, I am called to save lives. And it has impacted how she approaches her life ever since. So it's one of those things that I don't think she ever told him, but that mm-hmm. story right. stuck with her. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, I think there's a lot of encouragement in this passage, and I think there's a lot that we can focus on in, in terms yes. of positive things. I yeah. think it's a fun one to preach on because it is a real positive, um, yeah. uh, in its really in its fullness. So. Yeah. Thanks, Christy. Thanks. That's our podcast for today. If you heard something that was helpful to you, please subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends about us. It's our hope and prayer that our time together might bear fruit in your ministry as you build up the body of Christ. We hope you'll tune in next week. And in the meantime, let's keep serving each other as we together listen listen for for the the word. word.